Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Okay, I'm Lot Lady of Tarth hyphen posts on Tumblr, and I'm joined with GS. I'm Guile Guile and Subterfuge on Tumblr. YD. Hi, this is YD, and you can find me at Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. Comma Splice. Hi, this is Comma, and you can find me at Grammar Saves Lives on Tumblr. And Torg. I am Torgover. You can find me at Evil Torgover on Tumblr. <laughs> I love that Tumblr name. <laughs> okay, um, we are covering Game of Thrones Season 2, Episode 1. Um, there are spoilers um, for all things we spoil books and show. And there will probably be rape discussion, could be, possibly. So if that's uh, mm-hmm. troublesome for you, you might want to check out now. And uh, so, apparently, on my two-week hiatus, uh, Ned Stark died. What? Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. I was waiting. brand new information. There it is. I was waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to disappoint. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we open this episode um, with the Hound. Um, he is smashing an opponent for the enjoyment of Joffrey and his guests on his name day. Um, this guy gets kind of tossed over the edge and killed, and then the next match is announced, and it's uh, some dude named Broom <laughs> versus Sir Dantos. Uh, Sir Dantos is a bit bumbly, probably drunk. Uh, Joffrey offers him wine and orders Trant to see he drinks his fill. Trant and two other members of the King's Guard hold Dantos in place as they force wine down his throat. Sansa objects, the hound backs her up, and then, you know, they both say, well, it's bad luck to kill somebody on your name day. Sansa tells Joffrey he'd make a better fool than a knight. Joffrey agrees, and uh, Sir Dantos is taken away, and as he is, Tyrion enters. Um, Tyrion tells Joffrey he was looking for him on the battlefield. Um, Joffrey claims he's been busy ruling. Tyrion greets Tommen, Marcella, and gives his sympathies to Sansa. Tyrion leaves. He's got work to do. And this worries Joffrey. And that's the end of that scene. Mm. So what I, what I liked about the first part of this scene is how it highlighted Sansa's cleverness, I guess, in her ability to survive and adapt to her surroundings because you've got her here and she's still playing the part of the loyal wife to be but she's very quickly learning what she needs to do to survive in this in this place um, and she's also clever enough to retain some control over her surroundings you know she knows enough enough about Joffrey and and his ego to be able to persuade him to make Sir Dantos a fool rather than killing him and she essentially makes it seem like it's Joffrey's own idea, and, and what a clever idea it is, and he totally falls for it. So I like Sansa's character yeah. development in this scene. She's really clever here, and she learned quick. Yeah. Like, it was a really quick job, shift for her. Yeah, definitely. Um, the other thing, too, you know, that struck me about this scene was just that that shot when the two um, Kingsguard were holding um, Dantos, 
And they, like, I'm like thinking, like, the idealism behind who these King's Guards are supposed to be. I thought it was really well done. It's just totally being shattered by what, you know, Joffrey's ordering these guys right. to do. Yeah. Well, it's like in the books where Jamie comes back to, to his King's Guard and he's like, geez, what happened while I was gone, you know? <laughs> it's, it's become like a cesspool well, of. Yeah, what's, the, what's the line, rats and vermin or something? He's held the door open for them. Yes, and I, yeah, it's a bright line. What's uh, particularly <laughs> distressing about this is that these guys, they don't have a second thought about what they're doing. No guilt, right. no shame, no compunction whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and that's partly from their Cersei hires rather than actual, like, you know, the, of the quality of Sir Barristan, yeah. but... Right. They're just full fledged. Let's go ahead. Yep, sure. I'll drown a guy. No problem. Anyone catch yeah. who the other two guys were? I only <sighs> recognize Sir Merrin. I don't remember yeah. who the other two were, but I think there is there is some hesitation for some of them. Not specifically in this scene, but they're not all no. as bad as Sir Merrin or Sir Boris. Uh, but yeah, I agree with well, you. Some well, of them are just absolutely bloodthirsty. <laughs> and then um, the bullying babies, feeding people Oh. Yeah, like it, I think in the book, Sansa um, thinks that even though he does hit her, he's always very like Gentle. he doesn't like <laughs> doing it. He doesn't yeah. do it maliciously, and he like I think tries to make it less. Yeah, what a which guy! Is still warm, what a guy! Like, I mean, compared to hey, yeah, let's go get a you know giant barrel saw... of wine and drown a guy in his own yeah you know. And I, said, I like how they were just super prepared for it as well. Like just one word from Joffrey and all of a sudden they've got him and they've got the, the horn and to yeah, force him. They, they were fully equipped for that. <laughs> That's a beer bomb. I mean, basically they have like a beer <laughs> hanging around. Right? It's pretty much just a typical kegger. Not so bad. Well, you know, that, that was supposed to be a <laughs> All right. We're, can well, we go yeah. on to the next? Anyone got something else they want to add? Uh, I was just going to say, I sort of wondered... If how much of this has already gone on, like <laughs> it seems pretty you know, established. Like they it, said, like, they jumped on it. They've already got a routine here because yeah. they're killing exactly. people on a daily basis or something. Yeah. Seems like a terrible waste of wine. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but you have to give him credit. That is a, quite a creative way to kill someone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna go, right? <laughs> kind of thing a lot. <laughs> I can think of worse ways. <laughs> All right, let's go on. Okay, so small council meeting is in session. Um, they announced that summer is over. It's quite dramatic with the bird. <laughs> Littlefinger says they have wheat enough for five years any longer, and they're going to have fewer peasants. Slint reports that peasants are fleeing into the city. Cersei orders them out. Um, Tyrion whistles and saunters in. Um, he gives Cersei a little kiss on the cheek. Uh, Cersei demands to know what he's doing at the small council. Tyrion, with great glee, shares a letter from Tywin that he wants Tyrion to be hand in his place. Cersei is not thrilled by the news. Tyrion chastises her for Ned's execution. He throws Jamie's name into the conversation, says if the king listens to him, they might get him back. Wants to barter with um, the Stark girls, and Cersei tells them they only have one, and that's the end of that. Um, I think it's pretty clear that um, 
Cersei's gonna be a shit queen. Um, I don't know. I have a comment that does wheat really hold up for five years without rotting? But that's not that interesting. Sorry. I don't know. Uh. <laughs> I, I really wasn't. This scene really didn't do much for me. Um, maybe it's like and, special Westeros wheat. It's like some fancy strain. <laughs> This is your problem. Martin (laughs) didn't think all this through. Like, (laughs) that food storage, that some of this stuff didn't make a lot of sense. Um, But it's mostly for me, it wasn't a particularly scintillating scene. I did enjoy the conversation with Tyrion and Cersei. um, Especially that sort of like, that brother-sister, you know, like, you know you did something stupid, like, yeah, we lost Arya, bad move, but you don't want to admit it to your sibling because it's going to, you know, I like that. But the earlier part was, like, sort of Yawn City for me. Peter <laughs> Dinklage and Lena Headey have great chemistry, and I think that's partially due to the fact that they're really good friends in real life, so it makes them more comfortable with each other in terms of their acting choices. They they always shine when they, they play off each other. Mm-hmm. And apparently via the commentary, I guess they rent a house together in Ireland when they're filming. They do, yeah, they oh do. Oh, my. Wasn't he the one who suggested her for the role of Cersei as well? They he said, was. Um, he, yeah. convin- he convinced her to take it once they offered it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Well, I definitely enjoy her characterization of Cersei, so good move, good casting, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> you guys ready to go on to Winterfell? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So it's back- always a good time to go under Winterfell. Yeah, that place is cheerful. Um, so in Winterfell, <laughs> we have Bran, and uh, he's uh, listening to the grievances of different Northerners. This one guy is going on and on about the state of his walls. Uh, this goes on for some time. Bran um, argues with him about the war um, and his father. Uh, Mister Lewin interrupts at this point and promises the guy four masons to, you know, rebuild his walls. And Maester Lewin reminds him of his duties as lord. Um, shortly after that, we have like a bit of wolf vision. Uh, we see a forest, then the red comet overhead, um, a reflection in the water, and it's Bran. He's warged into summer. Um, in the next scene, um, it's still a Bran scene, we have Bran, Osha, and Hodor, and they are visiting the Werewood. They speak prophecies and what the comet means. Osha says it means one thing, and that is dragons. That's the end of that. <laughs> no specific well, thing. <laughs> anyway. I'll say this. I, I am a big defender of the show in many ways. The way it handled the comment, the comet was something that I did not particularly like because it implied that it actually does canonically mean it only means dragons. And they kind of acknowledge, yeah, some people think it means this. Whereas in the book, you don't know. It actually could. There, people genuinely are saying this comet means it's the return of the red god. You know, things like that. So, yeah. You have, what theory would you side with if you had to pick a prophecy of all the ones I, you know for the Red Comet? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of there being any prophecy that is true. I think it, the <laughs> prophecies are just what people think they are. I'm kind of on your side there. Uh, I think prophecies are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Nostradamus stuff. Yeah, no, that's, that's not my game. 
Anyone else? This was another draggy bit for me. Um, I normally love the guy who plays um, Lewin. I normally love the the extras, the casting, the small little roles, but the guy droning on and on and on about his, his walls falling down, I was just, it wasn't working for me. Yeah, in the commentary they talk about how they wanted to just put in a little scene so we could sort of get inside of what Bran's life is like now that he's the Lord of Winterfell. But I agree with you, Comma. To me, it was kind of a superfluous, superfluous scene. I, I don't really have that much to say about it. I don't think it really added anything to the show. I mean, to be fair, they have oh. a hard job. It's the first episode. They've got a bunch of exposition they have to get across. They have to catch up the people from the first, you know, who haven't either seen the show or first season. But it felt... I don't know. It felt overlong in parts and boring. And there are better ways to do it. I mean, I don't need to see naked chicks running around, but there, <laughs> there's got to be a better way to get this information across. And it was just, it was too draggy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think the problem with that scene is that we don't really care about the guy yeah. with his his hold. Uh, it, I mean, who cares? Well, maybe and they mean, and the maybe books, yeah, but there's. I mean, well, well, I mean, we it's care about the for me. Bran and, you know, the, the, the war and the, the, the conversation that it leads to, but not really what the scene is actually about. But, I mean, who cares? Yeah. Well, maybe they played it well and did it well then, because I don't think Bran cares and we're feeling what he's feeling. <laughs> bored. <laughs> okay, so, uh, let's move on to the next scene. Um, we're gonna, Go to Danny, and she's with a baby dragon <laughs> on her shoulder. Uh, she's trying to get him to eat a chunk of meat, and he's refusing. Um, Danny puts her dragon away, and her horse drops dead at that point. Uh, Jorah, I don't know why I'm laughing at that. <laughs> Jorah counsels her, uh, but he tells her she can't go south or west. Danny orders Rakaro, Ego, and Kovaro to ride out. She wants them to find cities or water people. So uh that's that's that. Um Yeah, I I like this scene. I know it's a daddy scene. I didn't like the horse death <laughs> like locked <Yeah>. in. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I I do look when Ian Glenn's around, it's always a good time for me, let's face it. And I like the way that this is sort of highlighting how much Danny relies on Jorah mm-hmm. as an advisor and as a friend, I guess, as well. He's really all she's got, and she does say as much, I think. She tells him that he's her strength. She'd kind of be lost without him. So I enjoy the relationship there, and I'm, as I've said many times before, thank God for Ian Glenn in those scenes. <laughs> my, Giles, my... do you have anything to say? <laughs> she's like, nope. <laughs> she's like, nope. <laughs> Actually, what she's I'm... Like, what I'm curious about is, um, specifically from you, YD, is what is the significance of the horse in the scene? <laughs> Any metaphors for us? <laughs> well, you know, now that you mention it, <laughs> um, you know, well, the, it, it is interesting actually because that's Danny's, that was Danny's, she's got one. wasn't the horse that, that Drogo gifted to her. Yep. Who, yeah. as far as I'm aware, is not dead in the books, so I'm not entirely sure <laughs> why they decided to kill off the pretty horse in the scene. I mean, surely they could have shown that they were starving without the animal death. 
Um, I know you had more to say about that. Well, I mean, it's sort of it's so irritating because really it's Doria that dies, not the stupid yeah. horse. Oh. And I would rather see, honestly, I would rather see her drop dead than the horse. Oh. Especially since I'm not terribly impressed with her acting in season two. This is the, it's Dorito, yeah. is that how you say your Dorito. name? Dorito. Yeah. Dorito. Dorito. Oh. <laughs> My only note for this scene, and I'm not lying, was really hate Danny's desert garb. Makes her tits look huge. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's all I had. <laughs> I'm shallow like that. Yeah, a little. <laughs> uh, can we forgive the wig for being ratty this time, though, Kama? <laughs> yes, I'm fine. They're supposed to look like shit because they're in the desert. Okay. But I was just like, what the hell are they got her in? I mean, it's just nasty. <laughs> I'm going to say I kind of like her desert garb. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I, yeah, I'm going to wear that around in the it's summer. An interesting outfit. Yeah. <laughs> That's her, like, business, like, you know, I got shit to do suit <laughs> in the desert. I got anyway. shit to do. I got wandering to do. Shoulder thing for the dragons to perch on. That's, yeah, yeah it's utilitarian. Awesome. I like the outfit. Anyway, I'm defending Danny's outfit. I never thought it'd come to this. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so the next scene, uh, we're north of the wall. Um, the men of the Night's Watch have arrived at Craster's Keep. We find out um, that he has a gaggle of wives and daughters. But wives and daughters, literally. Gross. Um, <laughs> Sam asks about his sons. You know, where are the boys? Inside Craster's Keep, Mormont is asking about Benjen, and Craster says he hasn't seen him. John objects to being called a southerner. Craster warns the pretty boy to stay away from his daughters. Craster theorizes that Benjen's um, joined up with Mance Raider. Um, for the gift of an axe, Craster tells Mormont that Mance is gathering up an army. We see Gilly for the first time as she fills Craster's cup. Craster will trade a roof for steel. He promises no, he wants to be promised that no one will mess with his daughters. Mormont has some stern words with John when they get outside, and that's it. So is this the first time we see Dolores Ed? Yes, it, it is. is. Yeah. Oh. Oh, we listened to the commentary. We sure did. <laughs> I did not. I just guessed. I was like, wait, he wasn't in season one. So no. that must be Ed. Okay. And yeah. also in the commentary is David and Dan yet again talking about how fast oh, James Cosmo is. <laughs> oh, his arms. <laughs> this guy. They really do. They're talking about his massive biceps and how he could you know, totally <laughs> shove you up against arm. a wall. <laughs> Okay, I think that just, just gave me an insight into their these their psyches I did not need to have. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so also from the commentary, um, they talk about Hannah Murray who plays Gilly, um, and apparently she was the only one they saw for that part. They said they'd seen her in another part, presumably Skins, which I, I love that skin. show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they saw her in, in what I assume is Skins, and then they called her up and got her into audition, and yeah, she was the only one they saw for that role. Yeah, I, I like her. I quite enjoy her, and Gendry as well was in Skins. He sure was. Anybody else in Skins? I was the only two I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> they just cast from Skins. I like the dude playing Craster. He's nasty and slimy yeah, he in a believable way. That. Yeah. Really yeah. easy to dislike him. Yeah, great actor. Now, yeah. What was it in the commentary about there's a guy that breeds medieval pigs that what? they use the craster yeah. seeds? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Oh, I, I think I need to listen to this commentary, yeah, but, guys. Yeah, no, I, no. You Wait, don't. he breeds. <laughs> he breeds medieval pigs. Yeah, but apparently there's like a medieval, um, you know, a, a strain of pigs, if you will, <laughs> that replicates what medieval pigs were like, and this dude breeds them. So it's like yeah. to be historically accurate. <laughs> that is fascinating. Actually, <laughs> no. Your audience, you have to please the medieval pig enthusiasts that will point out this is a, the wrong kind of pig. This pig has bigger ears and a shorter snout. Yeah, you uh. you joke, but I'm sure there's someone on the internet who's that matter. You know how annoying I find this information? They can't, like, write consensual sex between Jamie and Cersei, but they make sure they got the fucking strand of pig correct. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, I've heard, like, <laughs> authors who write, like, thrillers and have guns and use them incorrectly, I've heard how they get inundated with, you know, gun fanciers telling them, you did it wrong, that's not right. Maybe there's, like, a really pig vocal minority of, <laughs> of medieval pig enthusiasts who just they were afraid of them. You know, I, know. I, I thought the guy that breeds the pigs is behind it. It's a conspiracy, you guys. Kama, you do me a favor. You Google that. You, you look for those pig enthusiasts. <laughs> I will, if you want. I'm kind of... It's come to that portion of the evening where we discuss medieval pigs at length. <laughs> I love it. All right. So I think we're done here. <laughs> we're going to go on to the... <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. Google is, is coming back with crap. So, okay. yeah, no, I don't know. So there goes our theories. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're going to the beach. Um, Melisandre is having a bonfire. <laughs> we're going to the beach. We're going to the beach. It's not a fun beach, though. It's just uh, people burning gods. <laughs> the statues of the seven. Well, speak for yourself, though. Oh, yeah, you're enjoying yeah, this party. <laughs> uh, we see Davos and Stannis, uh, Maester Cresson, and he's the only one that is objecting to this bonfire. Um, of course, his objections go nowhere. Uh, Melisandre tells Stannis to pull Lightbringer from the fire. Everyone cheers. <laughs> they chant, for the night is dark and full of terror. Stannis starts to leave. Um, he stopped brief- briefly um, when he remembers his wife. I added that bit in there because I really like the way that oh, yeah. was acted. <laughs> he starts to leave and he's just kind of like, oh yeah, my wife. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Maester Grace, uh, Cresson warns Davos that the Red Priestess will drag Stannis into a war that he cannot win. Davos says Stannis is their king and he follows him. And uh, Cresson, yep, uh, Cresson tells him <laughs> the loyal service demands hard truths. So that's the end of the beach scene. Did you want to talk about any of that before we go into the the castle? Um, I actually have something, as I'm sure you suspected, I might because <laughs> Stannis, one true king of Westeros, oh. if I get it right. Yeah, <laughs> I like this scene. I'm I'm one of the few people I think who there's a like a lot of people. A lot of book readers really didn't care for how he was written, but I fell in love with him. I hadn't yet read him in the books, but I was all totally on board. I just love the awkwardness. Like, this guy, <laughs> he so does not want to be a religious, like, God no. figure. He has no interest, and you could see it. He's like, oh, God, okay, this is the part where I got to lift the stupid sword out of the sand, <laughs> wave it around, put it back. I, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah, he's just going through the and paces. The other thing that it's not really conveyed 
at all in the show, but what I do like, having read the books, is he doesn't believe in any of this shit at all. He's an atheist. He's been an atheist ever since he saw his parents drown. And and Proudwing. But (laughs) I think it was seeing his parents die, which probably killed any belief he had in any kind of higher power. Hmm. And he's doing this because he knows she has some sort of ability. He needs to get the loyalty of these, of, uh, Solis's relatives and all that. But he doesn't, he doesn't care about Rilor at all. And, um, I, I really like the irony of all this. Mm. Sorry, that's what I have. No, that's well done. And oh, one other thing. My, my one other thing that I liked and I didn't notice it until the rewatch. What Master or Maester Lewin is to Bran is sort of what Crescent was to Stannis. Because Crescent was pretty much like kind of raising them after their parents died. Hmm. Um, and raising Stannis. Yeah. Yeah. And he's now watching this little boy who he did truly love, mm-hmm. um, falling into this sort of doomed what the he clutches doomed of this stuff. evil red woman. <laughs> yeah, well, in, a, in yeah. action, like he, you know, the real legit fear that he may not be able to get out of this. Yeah, I'm glad so, you brought I, that up, Comarch. Um Because I've, as, as everyone probably knows by now, I'm rereading the, the book series and I'm currently on in Clash of Kings. And I had a slight issue with this scene and the, the bit that we haven't yet discussed. Because what I didn't really get a sense of here was Crescent's absolute devotion to Stannis. He absolutely adores him. I mean, yes, okay, he does. They do show that he basically poisons himself to try and set Stannis back on what he believes to be the right path. They definitely did that. But in the book, um, which is the prologue of Clash, um, you see Crescent talk about how he saw all the three Baratheon boys grow up, how he loved them all, but he loved Stannis best because he was the unloved one. He was the one mm. who was always in the shadows. And I I pulled a couple of lines, if it's okay if I read them. Go for it. Um, his lord's face swam up before him, not the man he was, but the boy he had been, standing cold in the shadows while the sun shone on his elder brother. Whatever he did, Robert had done first and better. Poor boy. Um, and then one more. Stannis, my lord, my sad, sullen boy, son I never had. You must not do this. Don't you know how I have cared for you, lived for you, loved you despite all? Yes, loved you better than Robert even, or Renly, for you were the one unloved, the one who needed me most. So this is, uh, it's an indication to me that Whilst very few people love Stannis, those who do love him so completely, yeah. like Crescent, like like Davos, and it's it's something that doesn't really come across in this initial scene, but certainly it it comes across after to me as the series goes on with with Davos. Hmm. That made me so sad. Poor Crescent. Yeah, it really Aww. was that prologue. That prologue in Clash is it's amazing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Obviously, it's it's difficult to capture these sorts of emotions on screen, particularly when you don't have the, as we say often, the internal monologue. Um, but yeah, I feel like I don't know. Maybe they didn't do the best with with the time that they had. Anyway, they didn't really give them a lot oh, of know. time. So yeah. Go ahead. No. 25 years when they come out with the musical version, he'll sing a heartwarming aria <laughs> about it. And <laughs> fantastic. One, one can hope. 
<laughs> so let's see what um, happens with Crescent and Dragonstone, shall we? Uh, Stannis is um, having I a letter. Like things are going to go well for him. Yeah. Like I said, got a good feeling about this guy. Yeah, so they've had a fun barbecue. Now they're coming back from the beach. <laughs> um, Stannis is having a letter composed. He demands that <laughs> this part uh, was hilarious. That beloved brother be taken out. He also has the addition of Kingslayer after Jamie's name. Um, Davos observes Crescent dropping a poison into a glass at this point. Uh, Stannis also has a scribe add Sir before Jamie Lannister mm-hmm. and then the Kingslayer. <laughs> He's still a knight after all. I was so perfectly yeah, Stannis. Common. <laughs> said earlier, I i mean, I hadn't read the books before seeing season two, but I also thought it was a good first look at Stannis here. Like, <laughs> Stephen Delane has his dourness and his pedantry, I guess, down pat, the way he, he sort of staunchly abides by the rules. And he's another character, really, who plays only in black and white with, with little grey. For him... What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong. And there's no, there's no middle ground. He, as you were saying a lot, he won't call Robert his beloved brother because he didn't love him. And <laughs> please call Jamie Lannister the Kingslayer. You know, that's why he is. But he also, is he's still a knight. So... Yeah. So call him Sir. <laughs> Sir Jamie Lannister the Kingslayer. But yeah, I, I think it was good writing there for Stannis and yeah. good acting by Stephen Delane as mm-hmm. well. I agree. Although, honestly, I can't look at him and not see Grumpy Cat anymore. (laughs) (laughs) That's his alien talk. That's what he's going for. So, well done, Stephen. I know. It's perfect. Everyone loves Grumpy Cat and everyone loves Davos. Or, sorry, Stannis. I said Davos. And and Davos. That was a slip. Everyone does love Davos. Uh, So, Stannis is laying claim. Which one they love more? (laughs) Stannis is laying uh, Stannis is laying claim to the throne. Uh, he demands the lords declare their loyalty. He's uh, basically spamming this message out, and uh, he's not going to make the same mistake Ned did. You know, he's making sure everybody knows about the incest. Davos asks Stannis to seek Renly's allegiance or Rob Stark's. Uh, Stannis refuses. They will bend the knee or be defeated, and that's his stance. Cresson asks for a toast to honor the one true god, and it's not very convincing. He's laying it on a bit thick. <laughs> Cresson drinks from the poison glass. Melisandre <laughs> takes the glass from him and guzzles it down. Cresson bleeds from his nose, then keels over dead, and Melisandre is unharmed. And so. her little choker thing glows. Yeah. I never noticed this that. This is one I... Mm. Oh, yeah. I Actually, the only reason I noticed is to someone on television and without pity, I remember commented on it. Mm. And they also, like you, referred to it as Spam Ravens, which I thought was brilliant. <laughs> Accurate. I, I love the scene. The whole scene's brilliant. I, I like the casting of Steve and Delane. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the casting of Liam Cunningham as... Um, Davos, and as much as I don't like Melisandre as a character, I think they did a good job with, I'm going to say her name wrong. Candace Van Houten. That one, yeah. Sorry, Carice Van Houten. (laughs) Yeah, so... Oh, sorry, go ahead, go. Kama, how do you feel about the lighting? (laughs) (laughs) This is the start of what will be problematic in that, God forbid, we should be able to see what's going on. But But now you know how to turn up your brightness. Early in season two... (laughs) You can kind of see stuff, so... Actually, you know what would have been nice to see properly is more of that awesome table map that he has. Yeah, well, we will be seeing we more shall, of that. We shall, yes. Yeah, <laughs> <in the> situation. 
All right, let's go to Rob's camp. Um, Rob visits Jamie Lannister. Sir Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. (laughs) 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 Jamie goads uh, Rob. He wants to know um, why he keeps him so close. You know, do you like me? (laughs) Rob doesn't want his bannermen to be tempted by Tywin for Jamie's release. Uh, Grey Wind is prowling about Jamie's cage, and then Rob tells Jamie of the letter from Stannis. King Joffrey is not the true king or a Baratheon. He knows that J- Joffrey is the product of his incest with Cersei. He also tells him he knows Jamie pushed Bran. Rob tells him he's um, sending some of Jamie's cousins. Uh, one of Jamie's cousins south um, to negotiate peace terms with well with his peace terms. Jamie closes his eyes as Grey Wind snaps at his face. Mm. So the first thing I want to talk about in this scene is actually Rob, not Jamie. Um, I I've just been thinking I really have been enjoying Rob in this series. I never mm-hmm. really um, I don't know. He didn't really stand out for me as early the the first time I watched it. But I think looking back now, Richard Madden does such an excellent job and I think the show itself has done a really good job elevating Rob to a main character in the show because in the books he's not a point of view character. Most of Rob's story in the books is told from Catelyn's perspective. So whilst you do get a sense of Rob's character in the books, Cat is very much in her own head a lot of the time, so Rob really feels like more of a supporting character than anything else, and you don't quite feel the full weight of his story like you do in the show. Um, and I just think, as I said, Richard Madden's done a really fantastic job with Rob. He's really helped flesh him out to being a character in his own right and not just an extension of Catelyn. So, spoiler, um, when the Red Wedding <laughs> comes along... You don't just mourn Rob as a loss for Catelyn. You you mourn him as his own person. Yeah. It makes it that much more effective. And he does. There's a, a what I really like in this scene is you're starting. We got it in the I think the last couple episodes when Rob started with the strategy, but you you're getting the sense, and, and it'll be undercut by his some of his um, when he listens to Little Rob. But um, right now. <laughs> You know, this is a man, he's thought this out. There's no way he's going to just stick Jamie in somebody's castle because he, he knows that's not going to work. So they're going to, I mean, he's becoming a commander. He's mm. becoming a man. And there's a lot of resonance there. Yeah. yeah he's good. It's it's really he's well great. done. And I love yeah. the scene. I love the scene with the wolf, too. Oh, me too. And How- just that sort of, like, Jamie's bravado is slipping quite a bit as this massive... You know, Beast is sort of like looking that's, at him like, That's what lunch. I found really interesting as well, because when the scene initially begins, you do have Jamie, sort of quintessential Jamie, all that reckless bravado when he's just chatting to Rob. And then you get this awesome shot of that, that sort of, um, I don't know, sweeping, the camera's panning around Jamie and you get that awesome panning close-up of Jamie's face, and then it kind of zooms out to see the wolf. And it's amazing. It, there's so much tension there. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, the only slight issue is Jamie's reaction just seemed a little bit out of character. To me, he looks absolutely terrified. And I can understand him being nervous around the wolf, like really nervous, but at... <laughs> 
Jamie's character to me is someone who will really cling to that bravado no matter what is happening. So for him to look absolutely terrified, I don't know, it seemed a little bit out of character to me. But this, again, it's not something that happens in the books. Although there is a similar scene um, with with Cleos Frey, who I guess is Alton Lannister in the show, mm-hmm. um, where they talk about Cleos being terrified of the direwolf. And it's explained, I think, that it's because he saw Grey Wind essentially rip out the throats of half a dozen men during the Battle of the Whispering Woods. So I think that's kind of what they're trying to recapture here, but it doesn't work for me with Jamie. With Jamie. I mean, yeah. yeah. I guess I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. Get out. thinking in terms of, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But, you know, it's like, I feel like Jamie has confidence that he can talk his way, I mean, as much much as like Tyrion, that he can either talk his way into or out of trouble with human beings. But, you know, he can't with a wolf. There's no way... A wolf doesn't care that he's a Lannister. The wolf has... You know, he has none of that. None of those things that he relies on. Yeah, I guess you could argue that, I mean, whilst Grey Wind may be under Rob's control, he's still a wild animal and therefore you can never really be sure. Yeah, you can't manipulate You can call yourself a lion all you want, but... When you're there with the real thing. Right. I mean, Rob's a wolf, yes, but there's a real wolf right there. And, and it's huge. <laughs> and it doesn't <laughs> like you. <laughs> the Tully's really got the shaft when it came to animals. Right. So, I mean, yeah. Ooh, a fish. <laughs> Fucking trout is going to get me. Oh, man. <laughs> Yikes. The fish is way more intimidating than the actual fish. I could choke on a bone. Well, it's sort of like... <laughs> When you were kids, or when I was a kid, there was, I think it was like Super Friends or whatever, and everyone had all these powers, and then there was Aquaman who could catch fish. Sharks are fish, so I'm mean, they got that on their side. That's true. Yeah, well, apparently, Torg's a huge Aquaman but... defender. <laughs> hey, I thought Aquaman was actually not bad looking. I'm just saying, you know, like fish... Trout, goldfish, koi. I'm not really feeling the fear here. The sharks. Okay, guys, back to what's important here, and that is how hot both Jamie and Rob. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I ship it. No, I don't. Oh, snark game was strong in this episode. Like we've got him saying uh, to Jamie. Oh, Jamie says to him about Tywin. You don't know him very well, and Rob's like, no, but he's starting to know me, and then. <laughs> Three victories don't make you a conqueror. It's better than three defeats. Oh, snap. He, oh, snap. Oh, snap. Oh, he looks so yummy and his hair was wit. great. Yeah. Yeah, he looked, he, looked, he looked great. Both Richard and Nikolai played no, really well. I'm sorry. Nikolai, Hobo Jamie does nothing for Get me. Get out of He's Sorry, oh. I told you he has to have clean hair, okay? You're outnumbered. He's not quite Hobo Jamie here yet either. Like, he's close. He's not. not there yet. He's only been in his own shit for like a month, maybe. <laughs> Borderline Hobo. <laughs> he's maybe living in his car at this point, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> at the, the, 
Okay. Yeah. Let's let's go on. Tyrion. Tyrion and Shay are in King's Landing. She says it's speaking of shit. She says it smells like dead bodies and shit. <laughs> she loves it. Uh, she loves King's Landing. Tyrion. She also says it smells like cum. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just didn't want to say that, but yeah. thank you for jumping in with that. You're very welcome. I know what uh, line I'll be highlighting from this ep and putting on loop. Uh, uh. <laughs> so Tyrion warns her to be careful that the city is also full of liars. Um, they kiss on top of Ned Stark's old bed. It's a short mm, scene. Do. You know what's cool, just briefly about this scene, is all the little details that they put into it. Did you notice that the wallpaper is covered in birds? Yeah, no. Style does because I mentioned it in the commentary. Um, yeah, it's just a little nod to John Aaron, who you know it's a sigil of, of oh. House Aaron. So they obviously haven't gotten around to redecorating. <laughs> since That's then. fun. That's cool. Yeah, it's great the little details they put in, which probably, let's face it, most viewers don't even notice. But it just shows how much care they take oh, with some things, at least, in making the show. One out of five don't notice, and hey, those yeah. that do watch the extras. <laughs> Poor design people. I like the scene. I mean, I got what she was saying. I mean, it's that sort of like like a native New Yorker going home, and it, the city is rank and disgusting, but you you recognize it, and you're glad to be back. And I can't imagine. I I am mystified as to what exactly she was doing out in the middle of the Riverlands, Westerlands, but she must be pleased to finally be back in what she must think of as civilization. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, next scene we see Cersei. She's catching up with Littlefinger. Um, she has four Lannister guards trailing behind her. She wants to know where Arya has gone. Littlefinger thinks the North likely. Um, Cersei remarks um, of his mockingbird sigil. And she says, you know, it's appropriate sigil for a self-made man with so many songs to sing. She mocks him about Catelyn. He in turn mocks her about Jaime. Um, <clears throat> then uh, he adds something about the prominent families often forget that a simple truth is knowledge is power. Cersei orders her guards to seize him, orders them to cut his throat, and then tells them to stop. She's changed her mind. She orders them to step back three paces, turn around, close their eyes. She tells him, power is power. And then adds, find the Stark girl. So, one of the things I loved about this scene um, was the way it was shot. They did this, like, overhead view downwards, and when Mm -hmm. Cersei was, like, you know, giving her orders to the guards, you could see them kind of spread out from that bird's eye view. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah, that was good. So this was the first um, like the first season they didn't shoot in Dubrovnik, correct? So this is kind of the I first think. chance to really like actually shoot those outdoor scenes there. Mm-hmm. And I think you mm-hmm. can see the difference in shots like that. You can, like, yeah. Do angles. Yeah. And- yeah. As for the, for the content of the scene... I didn't love it. I feel like it was out of character for both Littlefinger and Cersei. I feel like Littlefinger would never really be that openly confrontational, especially towards the Queen Regent. You know, this is a dude who prefers to work behind the scenes and he's usually pretty smart about knowing when he can and can't be cocky like that. So, Especially yeah, when she has four guards with her. Right, it just seemed a little <laughs> off to me. Except I think she's... Yeah. I think what they're getting at is... 
and it, she's basically when she starts talking about him being in love with Catelyn, as she's like, you know, basically saying, "So, are you hiding her? What do you know? Are you not telling me because you have this loyalty?" I mean, which is garbage because she, I mean, he pretty much just screwed Catelyn over. Um, but that's how she thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I put, I, I didn't really care for the way it was acted. I liked the way it was like blocked and staged and the lighting was good. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like, I, you know what? I like it when I can see what's going on. We do, but <laughs> I, I thought he was, uh, Gillen was a little obvious mm-hmm. and his, a little broad for what was going on, although it was funny. So you said I mean, you didn't enjoy Aiden Gillen's portrayal. Yeah. I didn't hate it. I mean, I just thought it was broad. I mean, I almost expected the guards to start doing the hokey pokey for her. So they would have. You know, which say, is what probably they were going for, that she has that kind of power over them. i got to say that Aiden Gillen's accent was all over the place in this scene as well. I don't know. I, I feel like it didn't have any... Well, didn't have many redeeming features for me. For me, it was a scene that could have been left out entirely. I liked Lena yeah, a lot. I, crazy. I liked Lena too, actually. That's actually one thing I did make a note of. I did like her acting in a scene. She did really well with her face. You could kind of see the anger just building up behind her eyes. And then, yeah, I think she she did good work there. I just like that bit when she does that little half laugh and then she's like, oh, I've changed my mind. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, it's like Cersei who's feeling up in the world and she's having some fun. <laughs> yeah, just finally having some fun. Yeah. And okay. then I just, no, go ahead. I just appreciate the scene for how it, it, it kind of shows how each of these big major players can kind of chip away at one another. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of broad and, uh, a little over the top, but you know, I, I like it. I think it gets the point across really well. Oh, actually, another thing that I did enjoy about the scene is at the very end, where you've got that cool little shot just before Littlefinger turns to leave, and he sees one of Varys's little birds just watching him. Yeah. I thought that was a nice little addition. Jesus, I missed that like, too. Shit. That <laughs> eunuch is going to hear all about this. I will never, <laughs> never live it that. down. I'm never going to live it down. <laughs> Damn it, I missed that part. I'm going to have to rewatch. <laughs> so, um, next scene, um, we are introduced to poor Olin Lannister. <laughs> He's, aye, aye, Cleo Spray. Right. He's given Rob's terms. Uh, he wants his sisters returned. He wants his father's bones and all the others who died in his service. Um, he also wants Joffrey to renounce all claim to the north. Tells Olin he will ride at daybreak and then he's taken away. Theon and Rob chat a little bit. Um, he knows the Lannisters will reject the terms. They need ships to take King's Landing. Theon tells Rob his father has ships. And we also learn he is his father's only living son. So... Which we know is not true, but... It's like, you are so fucked and you don't even know it. Theon says, "Um, I'm not a Stark, I know that, but your father raised me to be an honourable man. We can avenge him together. And then the commentary, those bastards, David and Dan, say, how fun it is watching Richard and Elfie playing off each other given what's to come. No, David and Dan, it's not fun. It's devastating, you harmless bastards. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's so basic. Oh. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I have 
I, I did like when they talked about trying to drink with them, though, and realizing they weren't 25 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the things you learn about behind the scenes. A little Cree revenge. Can we just all poor Theon for a second, though? Yes. Oh, poor Theon. Oh, it hurts my heart. You know, I initially, A, I couldn't figure out who he was, what the hell his deal was when I first started watching, <laughs> but on this rewatch, and I didn't like him, but, and after I read the books, though, and what what happens to him, oh my god, it breaks my heart every time. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Poor Theon. That's the end of that. Um, the oh, next Rob. scene, uh, Catelyn cautions Rob against having Balon Greyjoy as an ally. Listen she mentions, to your mother, Rob. Yeah. Listen to your That's mother. That's what I have in my notes. <laughs> I have in my notes. Rob, listen to your mom. You know what's interesting about Kat is that she's so great at giving advice and not so great about taking her own Womp womp. <laughs> Rob says his bannerman would string him up by his feet if he traded Jamie for the girls. Um, Rob loses his cool with his mother a little bit. Uh, she tells him it's time for her. Um, she tells him it's time for her to return to Winterfell. Um, she's sending. He says no. He's sending Roderick back, and she wants. He wants her to go to um, speak with Friendly Baratheon. Um, tells her that with Renly on their side, they will outnumber the Lannisters and they can get the girls back and go home. Kat tells Rob Ned would be proud of him. I'm really looking forward to when this all works out and they get the girls home. <laughs> this is all going to wrap up at the end of the season, maybe, you know? Uh, and then they all have a picnic and there are enough ice cream sandwiches for everyone. <laughs> I wonder if Kat's going to meet any interesting people during her journey. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay. Oh, you remember how I was talking about Rob, like, you know, coming into his own and being a man and all that other crap, like, mm-hmm. two seconds ago? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is the part where he's not listening to his mother, where she's saying, dude, do not trust the Greyjoys. This is a bad idea, but he's too into his new, you know, he doesn't have that wisdom part that goes, you know, but, there might be some yeah. people who've been around a little bit longer who might actually know a little something. Yeah, he does. that arrogance of youth. He doesn't have that wisdom. And it just reminded me there's a little part in the books where he has a crown at this stage in the books. They've created yeah. a crown, which is sort of meant to look like the the crown for the Starks of old when they were kings. I mean, there's a cool line in the books. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just going to be paraphrasing, but I think Catelyn, it's from her point of view, says something about how it keeps sort of slipping off his head and how, you know, it's not a, it's a, it's a heavy burden for a 15 year old to wear a crown. So yeah, he's, he's still a kid. I know he's been aged up in the show, but yeah, as Common was saying, he doesn't really have that wisdom yet. He's, he's coming into his own. He's, Learning how to, to lead, to command, but he's not quite there yet. He's not quite ready, I guess, to take on the advice that he probably should be taking on. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I mean, the send cat to, the send cat to Renly plan is a good plan. That is a like, good plan. That is, you know, something bizarre had to happen to make that not work, which unfortunately, not. or fortunately, <laughs> if you're first, you know, if you're a Stannis fan, yeah. happened. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I just, it's the whole uh, Theon and, and sending him home plan, perhaps. I, I, I think the whole tragedy of this whole series is with these younger characters, is that in real life, we don't live in a society where making the wrong move, generally speaking, is going to get you killed. Yes, it can. <laughs> you get in a car, you do something stupid, you drink and drive. Yes. 
but generally you can you have the luxury of there's you're allowed to make mistakes you're allowed to fail and you have that that luxury of being able to grow and learn from them mm. these I younger mean, characters no. in this yeah. series they can't you make a wrong move you're dead you make a wrong move your whole family's dead and in some horrible gruesome way and yet and that's how human beings grow mistakes. and mature you know, oh, I'm sorry. I mean, Rob made Rob made multiple mistakes. It wasn't like it was just one wrong move. I mean, yeah, he, right. he did I, make. I, I, and you know, I mean, you can understand all the mistakes that he made, but he compounded some mistakes. And yeah, his enemies made I, the most drastic reactions to them. But you know, it still it wasn't just like one slip up. No, no, and I, I'm not saying he, you know, he did one thing that got got him killed. I'm just saying in general, uh, you know, like. Theon is not wrong to want to belong somewhere. He's not wrong to ha- want to have his father's approval, all this stuff. And in real life, he'd go, he'd get disappointed, and he'd probably get to go off and, you know, eventually go into therapy and realize his father <laughs> is not worth. But, you know, here you go and do that, that's suddenly you're now, you know, it, these things all compound. Your dick's in the box. Exactly. <laughs> he got the Greek therapy. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. Okay, uh, let's go to the throne room. (laughs) Sorry. So we're in the throne room. Uh, Joffrey is doing a little bit of interior decorating. Uh, Cersei tells Joffrey they need to find Arya. They will never trade Jaime for one girl. Joffrey replies they might. They place too much value on their women. (laughs) This should have been a good indication at this point for Cersei where things were going to go. Uh, Cersei wants Joffrey to ask for more soldiers to look for Arya. Joffrey blames Tywin's stupidity in battle um, for Jamie's capture. <laughs> he brings up the rumor of her and Jamie. Cersei oh, tells God. him... That awkward moment when your son asks you if he's a product of you banging your brother. <laughs> yeah, I hate when that happens. Uh, Cersei... Cersei tells them their enemies will say anything. Joffrey then brings up the other children Robert had, asks how many bastards did father have when he got tired of fucking you. Cersei smacks Mm. him. All the hammering stops. (laughs) Everyone watches this scene play out. Joffrey tells her what she just did is punishable by death, and she will never do it again. Joffrey dismisses her. Mm. I'd, I like the scene. I really, he is. Well, we all like the scenes where Joffrey gets slapped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. go ahead, girl. I'll say Cersei is certainly reaping what she sowed. She sure is, yeah. I, I do like the expression on her face when Joffrey tells her, what you just did is punishable by death. You kind of see it dawn on her that she really kind of has lost him. She's lost control over him and he is someone to be feared. It's kind of like her oh fuck moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and she's someone who has clawed her way in a way to the top of the heap here, and she's just learning, you know what? You're not on the top. Yeah. Your son is. Mm. And you're, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a fun scene. I love the whole Joffrey's. The kid doesn't go to small council because he can't be bothered to do any of that, but Redecorating? <laughs> he's all over it. Yeah, I like how he's, he's not really into all the, the vines and the outdoorsy stuff that Robert likes. He's more an inside guy. Yeah, he's an indoor king. Yeah. yeah. He wants to stay inside and play his video games. Yeah. Some light crossbowing. 
Lot crossbow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> First person shooters, you know. Yeah. There we go. Now I get your references. <laughs> okay. So some zombies. So uh Ross is in the next scene. Uh she's moved up a bit in the brothel world by the looks of it. She's now training whores with the lessons she's learned from Littlefinger. She's showing the newest country bumpkin from Haystack Hall around um, the fancy brothel. She's The new girl's really quite taken with the way it looks. And at this moment, Slint comes in with some city watch guards. And, uh, God, you know, I can't even go into detail about this scene. It was too fucking disturbing. I kind of forgot about all this. Yeah, they kill a baby. And then we have this whole montage of other baby and child death. And murder. Yes. And it's a so I would think you'd like this line. No, I knew that. I was gonna no. say, is this your favorite? No. <laughs> Despite Maybe my if you reputation. Put some happy music to the back of the montage. Like the Monty Python thing. Yeah. Still haven't seen what that. What I love about this scene is I needed to throw in some sex before the baby killing. Like, it's just got everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, HBO. Oh. I did. I mean, sexy I baby. Say, oh, God. Well, well done. Get out. Get, get out. Before with Cersei <laughs> realizing she's not in control. And then you've got Roz, who, again, I mean, she's, God knows what she's had to do and to whom she's had to do it. But she's in a, what she thinks of as a position of comparative power and security. And it's just, it's demonstrated right there. You know what? You're not in control. And she watches this. I mean, it's a horrible scene. Mm. It's awful. Um, I know. It's awful. And then all of the murders are awful and done with such subtlety. Yeah, I love how they're just doing it out in the open, like, without worrying about what the people may think. Well, that's kind of the point, too, right? Yeah, that's kind of the point, too, because it's the building of the illustrating the way that they're acting and how the people hate them. And it's easy to yeah. turn on them into revolt because they're all assholes. And it was Cersei in the books that actually ordered the killing of all Robert's bastards, was it not? Not Joffrey? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I was actually just thinking about this last night and I, I don't know if I'm not up to it yet or what, but um, I can't remember. I mean, it was Cersei, I think, who gave the order, but I don't know whether that was on Joffrey's command. I'm not entirely sure. Well, and you can't, I mean, you can't trust when she says, she, you know, when it, she sort of implies it's Joffrey's orders and the sh- you can't trust it. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting, and of course, they've basically, um, I guess, condensed all, you know, the only one that supposedly survives is Gendry, but mm-hmm. in the books, there's at least two more out there. Yeah. There's Edric Storm Edric. and there's Maya Stone. And Maya Stone, Yeah. yeah. Um, and Edric's, um, I don't think he's older than, uh, Gendry, but his parentage is, his mother is noble. Mm. Hmm. Um, well, but I guess of, they decided they weren't going to be bothered with that. Speaking of Gendry, um, they do go to the blacksmiths where Gendry lived and was employed. Uh, the blacksmith is being tortured. Uh, he tells them that Gendry was taken north by the Night's Watch and he has a bull's head helmet. Then we cut to the last scene, which is Arya and Gendry on uh, the back of a cart heading down the King's Road north. So yeah, that's the end what of the was episode. interesting to me is, because I just recently read uh, a chapter between Tyrion and Varys, and they actually talk about the baby killing and the, the child killing. 
Um, and Varys says to Tyrion that he had stepped, he'd taken steps to save some of Robert's children, including Gendry. There's a little passage where he says, there was another bastard, a boy older. I took steps to see him removed from harm's way. Um, so yeah, I didn't realize it. Well, I mean, Varys says it. I don't know whether or not it's true, but apparently, according to the books, it may have been Varys that had removed Gendry from harm. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Mm. Well, and you can see that they might, you know, from Varys' perspective, he might want a couple of, um, yes, a couple of older yeah. bastards around course, just for yeah. the create some chaos and conflict. Or according security. to him, according to him, whatever's best for the realm, <laughs> whatever that may be. Yeah, whatever. Ass, yeah, liar. Huh. Well, I mean, all of these. <laughs> you don't trust the, the eunuch, GS. <laughs> <laughs> but the people who manage to stay in power are the ones who have contingency plans. Okay, that's True. that yeah. doesn't work out. Well, we have something else that'll, you know. Yeah. And there seems like that kind of a guy. Yeah, of course it, he wants to keep his yeah. options open. He wants to yeah. have as many players, I guess, for the throne. Waiting just in case. Yeah, he's got plans A, B, C, D, E, and F all ready to go. Okay, mm. so that's the end of the episode. Do we have any questions? Or do we have just have I some do thank not have yous? Questions. I do have thank yous. Let's do some thank yous. Alright, so I've got one from Crystal Rose 29 who sent in a lovely message a couple of weeks ago as well. This is her new one. She says, Hey ladies, so I have bad news. I won't be listening, arguing with your podcast while I deliver newspapers. No. We hired a character and someone backed me off this most day. <laughs> I was almost caught up too. I will continue to listen because I love the podcast. Aww. Thank you so much, Crystal. That's so lovely. <laughs> um, we have another, we have another one from Chicky. <laughs> <laughs> she says, hey kids, just checking in from my fabulous holiday from podcast. I hope you're not having raucous parties and inviting all your friends over while I'm gone. Ha ha, just <laughs> kidding. I know you don't, don't have any friends. Oh, what a jerk. Oh. You're a jerk face. Nice slam there. <laughs> I'm doing your laundry right now. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, uh, her fabulous vacation from podcast. Okay. As I see her name pop up on Skype, Chicky has come yeah. online. <laughs> you can't stay away from, from us. Hawaii, lot. From Hawaii. Come on. <laughs> anyway, she, just quickly, she said, I hope your season two episode's going well. Just don't start the brand shit without me. So thanks, Chicky. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Thank yous. Oh, that's nice. I was so upset. We got so many nice thank yous while I was away. And I'm like, oh, glorious, glorious thank yous. So thank you guys for sending those in. Um, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at close the door and at gmail.com. We're also at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter at, oh God. Door podcast. Door podcast. Yeah. Yes, I did it. And, uh, don't forget to, uh, like and review us on iTunes. And I want to just take a moment to thank the Australian <laughs> listeners. Um, you're all good in my books. And I, now, uh, go Australia and I will stop throwing wine in Whitey's face. <laughs> they United Hi. Kingdomers, however, uh, I got beef with you. So much beef. Uh-oh. <laughs> so you're next, UKers. You're next. All right. <laughs> and uh, going out on that threat. <laughs> Thanks for podcasting, girls. Uh, GS, Torque. Thank you for guesting. Bye. All right. Have a good night. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.